The Reluctant Conformist A book by Richard Cowley Part 4 A View from the Always Now Chapter 11 The Novice A quote pertaining to Chapter 11 from Dennis Potter, playwright, 1935 to 1994 Channel 4 interview with Melvin Bragg, 5th of April, 1994 I see it as the whitest, frothiest, blossomiest blossom that ever there could be, and I can see it. That newness of everything is absolutely wondrous. The fact is, if you see in the present tense, boy, do you see it, and boy, can you celebrate it. Magnus rests still, but I'm no longer there. I've become part of the non-past, merged with the present tense. His body is on the bed, but I am in every corner of the room, the volume of the room. As he wheezed his last breath, I am released from my biological incubation to experience the first unfettered flush of liberty as the stillness of deep meditation. The mood morphs from wondrous surprise to loss as someone enters the room. Oh, Dad, it's Willow, our eldest daughter. She stands still. Just looking, sorrowful, but serene. She takes Magnus's hand to comfort him, even though I, his essence, am separate from our still and silent shell. There's blueness in the light now, a mesmeric blueness I'd known before, although this wash is weak and watery. The radiance fades to the greyness of a dull day, restful and soft, not uniform, but mottled and moving, lending no shape to the room or bed. There's a swirling haze, shot through by fading tints, with no outline or boundary, but alive with wispy activity. It's never still, but a soothing place to be, where I slowly fade into a hazy vision of light, which now I'm part of. Yellow edges drift like silken ribbons in a translucent sphere. Everything moves, nothing is still, all is formless, suspended in a profound peace that comes with silence. Openings of pale hues appear, then fade into the past, as though enabling access to a reclaimed dream time. Colors wash through me, but I remain static, passing into the silence beyond. The only sense is an irresistible fascination in being, no connection except through silence. There's nothing specific to engage with except the ecstasy of awareness, as though immersed in a profound secret that's yet to be fathomed. It must be later, for there's a group of people, a family gathering, with food and drink and lively chatter of happy times, no feeling of gloom. Just celebration, reminiscing, enjoying shared memories. A stifled sob drifts forward but disperses into a soundless warmth that fizzes to a forgiving softness. Even though they are Magnus's and my nearest and dearest, there's a mystifying remoteness between those present and me. Or at least that's how it feels in this airy state of unconditional love. Already I sense something other. It may be the unseen continuum of life's transcendental essence becoming manifest through me. I feel thank you 
to my mentor and host, which was Magnus's worldly being, that carried us through a lifetime of adventures and tutorial together. I've been his constant companion, the silent confidant within. Thanks also to our two lovely daughters and five grandchildren, and of course Sophia Elizabeth, the linchpin of our family, all of whom gave Magnus and me a joyous purpose in life. Oblivious to my presence, they relive old stories of Grandad's frequent rebellious adventures and mishaps, whilst I remain an intimate part of it all, the guardian of unblemished truth. I drift with neither sense of time or being, nor anything in between, but alert to Magnus's memorial, the eye of eternal presence am free to flex and stretch from mere torpor into a niche within the continuum of terrestrial collective memory. As though daydreaming through a wistful reflection on stillness and peace, a bewildering mirage materialises as the Isle of Man Gaiety Theatre stage, floating freely in a surround of impenetrable blackness. In supreme silence, the curtains are drawn aside to expose an intense brilliance of mesmeric blueness that so beguiles the senses with its hypnotic wonder that I'm compelled to merge with its seductive embrace, but unable to move, I gaze in raptured adoration at its infinite depth that so captivates every wisp of my ethereal self, my only response is to surrender to its enchantment. All else is abandoned to an irresistible feeling of oneness and contentment. After a lifelong journey with Magnus Henry, to arrive back at the beginning, and, knowing the place for the first time, to realise it's where I belong, and yearn to be, ignites within me an overwhelming urge to remain. Startlingly, a double act appears on the theatre stage, dressed in top hat and tails, sporting lacquered walking cane, glossy patent leather pumps, complete with white spats, and with white carnations in their silken lapels. They tap, dance, and twirl gracefully from the wings to centre stage. The lookalike phantoms of George W. Bush, a two-term American president, and Tony Blair, a former Prime Minister of Great Britain, thrash, arc, and gyrate in perfect unison through their slippery, well-rehearsed routine. In a final frenzied outburst of clattering heel and toe-tapping, the thrashing enchanters conclude their finale, allowing them to strike the classic Fred Astaire climactic pose, a stance designed to provoke the utmost audience adulation and applause. Standing in a haze of self-congratulation, bowed forward and down towards the stalls, lips wreathed in winning cap-tooth smiles, their left hands extended forwards, offering the upside-down top hats to the audience of one. Whilst behind their backs, clutched firmly in their outstretched right hands, the silver-topped walking canes are held high in anticipation of a thunderous ovation. In a silence that shrieks with the terrifying foreknowledge captured by Francis Bacon's portrait of the screaming Pope, Innocent X, the black-clad cabaret stars putrefy and dissolve, layer by layer, from graceful ghouls to mucus-like flesh, then crumbling bone. Ultimately, all that remained is a blood-red slime to leak through the boards into the dungeon-black orchestra pit below, there to disappear, for as yet neither has passed on, but remain unbelievably insistent in life. 
Riveted in horror and disbelief, I watch a fresh mirage arise in the beguiling blueness, appearing as if immortal players in a phantom play. To my relief, I recognize the troop as old friends I've come to know through Magnus's interests and readings, living spirits of indeterminate age mustered from mimetic memory. Center stage, Robert Hughes, clad in black-fringed motorcycle leathers and Kurt Schwitters, resembling Rodan's cloak-wrapped Balzac sculpture, in a familiar floor-scraping overcoat and sockless sandaled feet, laugh soundlessly at a smutty aside from a beaming blue-and-white striped-chested Pablo Picasso. Indistinct, towards the back of the stage, Willie Lees, dressed in his church-going Sunday best, is in cosy conversation with a svelte Winifred Prince, calmly fetching in suede-patched jumpers and loose white blouse. Another trooper sashays from the shadowy wings to take the hand of Claudia the Sting, lounging seductively in a shimmering catsuit. He's well turned out in a sharp military uniform, and, at first glance, could be taken for Charlie Chaplin, play-acting the great dictator. Then I recognize him as the real thing, and as though by osmosis appreciate why he's there. Like it or not, in the beyond there are no refusals, judgment nor reward, and there is no retribution, just the unqualified testimony of each life's experience. As though as one, the entire company of players stopped their silent engagement to gaze directly at me, and grinning conspiratorially, wave welcome acknowledgement before slowly fading to disappear, leaving me alone with the purest cerulean blue of an infinite epiphany. Sensing the rapture is about to be spirited away, I plead wordlessly, Don't go! Please stay! Take me with you! Please! Please! But it's no good. The theatre curtains slowly close. The seductive brilliance of being fades to the black silence of oblivion. Only later, when the limitless void is too knowing to bear, am I aroused from the friendless torment of rejection by the single peal from a tubular glass bell, whose lingering chime transports me back towards the forgotten eternity hinted at in one of Magnus's poems. I thought I dreamt of bells. No dream of common hue did charm so sweet a sound, a crystal bellbird song that held the soul spellbound. In soft, sweet bliss my mind awoke amidst this mystic dream of azalea mist in which to float in consciousness unseen. So calm, so still I lay, lest one small breath did break the spell of that delicate bellbird charm, whose crystal chimes did love excel. Warm perfume waves swiftly rose to drift and linger free, as shooting stars reflected deep on a silver rolling sea. What favoured me for such insight to breathe this mythic air, so clear, so rich, this scented sound that did my soul ensnare, 
In silken threads each thought was tied, except this sense of bliss, a seductive smile of wafting chimes, a softened rainbow kiss. No earthly cast did weave the web of this enchanted show, an echo from a place where home each soul must go. Ribbons of light paint this picture serene in shimmering harmony, to nourish the heart, to still the mind, to set the spirit free. So warm, so soft, whilst bathed in light, although asleep, still hears that love the key, the soul releases, the mists of life love clears. And I'm alone again, drifting aimlessly through an eternal never-never, but now dreamily aware of being coaxed towards a perplexing premonition, where time is meaningless and into an exciting new phase of quantum existence that demands exploration. With confinement over, and gestation all but complete, my pairing with Magnus Henry's mortal existence is nearly ended. Once his physical body is no more, all ties unravel, and I escape the quantum entanglement. In the meantime, I'll remain nearby to witness the dispersal of his body into its elemental stardust particles. Then, finally released, I'll be free to follow the road not taken, and that'll make all the difference. Again, and again, and again. The Reluctant Conformist The End Or is it? Magnus has just earned his entry pass to Valhalla, where he hopes to meet the mythical Norwegian Blue. Now there's an interesting thought, but why should Magnus's story end there, with a mere ex-parrot? There remain his worldwide adventures with Sophia to examine, a catalogue of missed opportunities to speculate upon, the odd attitude down under to twentieth-century slave labour to unpack, the scientific miscalculation which led to Australia's infestation by two hundred million deadly cane toads to ponder upon, a crocodile hunter's lifestyle to think about, and, of course, the nature of death and beyond to contemplate. There's much more to Magnus's life and death than the reluctant conformist reveals. There's witchcraft, mysticism, and the unusual random mayhem overflowing with success and failure. On second thoughts, hold your horses. The next book in the series is nearly ready for publication, and will ultimately be released as an audiobook, then as a podcast. Like sitting bull, keep your ear to the railway line, and you too may be lucky enough to remove your head before the iron horse thunders by. However, if you choose to avoid railways and remain quite still, close your eyes, relax your shoulders, and breathe slowly and evenly, you too may be rewarded with a clairvoyance whisper from the music of the spheres.